Maybe you can help me out. Do you know how to finish this phrase? When it rains, it pours. When it rains, it pours. This is an old saying, and it basically kind of means like, man, if the difficult situation is happening, they tend to happen one after the other after the other. It's bad. It's more bad. It's more badder. It's worse. It's worser. It's worse. It's, it just piles up. And maybe you've experienced life like that, like the classic country song, you know, like story arc. Yeah, I lost my dog and my truck broke down. My woman done left me, right? It's just when it rains, it pours. And it's a very common thing in our life to feel that way. Does anybody remember the year 2020? Boo. We called it a dumpster fire. Like it was one thing after the other. Uh, I saw a t-shirt the other day that was great. It was uh, a Back to the Future themed t-shirt. And it was like Doc Brown talking to Marty. And he says, Marty, whatever you do, do not go to the year 2020. And like, can we resonate with that? But here's the thing. We make jokes about 2020. But the reality is maybe some of us have felt like we've had our own personal 2020 uh, a lot of different times in our life. Maybe since then, maybe last week. You woke up on the wrong side of the bed and you got to work to find out some bad news and you got that phone call that was bad. And when it rains, it pours. And when these seasons of our life happen, we're left with all these questions. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? And maybe if you're practical, what should I do? (laughs) Like, where should I go? What should I say? How should I respond? And maybe if you take things to a spiritual level, you'll say, Where is God in all of this? When it rains, it pours. So last week, we started a new series through a portion of the Bible that many of us tend to skip, the minor prophets. Uh, If you missed it, we started last week. We started in the book of Hosea. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in the book of Joel today. We've got free Bibles at the back near the door if you want to grab one to use for the service or just keep for the rest of your life. If you need one, look it up on your phone. I'll have some of the scripture on the screen behind me. But we're in the minor prophets, and it's a section of the Bible we tend to kind of, you know, brush over or skip a little bit. Uh, Why are they called minor? Well, they're called minor because minor means small or short. And so they're very short books. It's a group of 12 short books. Uh, Why are they called? prophets. Well, they're called prophets. A prophet in biblical language is someone who has had some sort of encounter with God, and then they have a message to share with his people as a result. And so they're minor and they're prophets. Uh, And so our goal is to get through the first six minor prophets this summer. Uh, There are 12 in total, and we're going to try to get through the last six next summer. So if you want to read ahead, I'm just doing them in the order that they are in our English Bibles. Next week we'll be on the next one. But this week we're going to be looking at the book of Joel. And Joel is a very short book, only three chapters, three very short chapters actually. And let me tell you, if it needed a theme, if it needed like a summary, a good summary for the book of Joel would be, when it rains... It pours. The people in this scenario are having a bad time of it. And there's some background that I could give you, but I think the story is going to speak for itself. And so we're going to jump into Joel chapter 1 and verse 1. And it's actually so short, we're actually going to read almost the whole book of Joel together today. Is that cool? We're going to do that? Maybe you haven't read it recently, so we're going to read a lot of it right now. Joel 1.1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen. All who live in the land. Has anyone like this, has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children 
And let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. Okay, Joel's jumping right in, okay? We're going to be in face first into the deep end uh, as Joel tells this story. And there's been a natural disaster. We're going to find out very quickly what's happened. There's been a plague of locusts. Locusts. We have like cicadas around here. And I guess we have something kind of like locusts. But in in, uh, northern Africa and the Middle East and in like southern Asia, there are these big cricket-like creatures. I got a couple of pictures. Look at these giant crickets. Do we have them? That's an ugly thing. I think there's another one that just gives you some perspective in someone's hand. Look how big those things are. Okay, these are big. These are ugly. If you're not a bug person, I'm sorry. That's what this book's about. Okay, so (laughs) these locusts. uh, Now... They feed on plants, uh, grasses, green leafy things. But when conditions are just right, the population just explodes. And there will be millions of locusts and they will begin to swarm. Uh, Check this picture out. Okay, that's just a shot of like a a, a moment. Listen to this from NationalGeographic.com. A desert locust swarm can be 460 square miles in size. And pack between 40 and 80 million locusts into less than half of a square mile. That's dense. Each locust can eat its weight in plants each day. So a swarm of such size would eat 423 million pounds of plants every day. To put that in context, a swarm this size, a swarm the size of the city of Paris could eat the same amount of food in one day as half the population of France. So when you have a swarm of locusts, it's bad, okay? It's bad. And this, this, this isn't just ancient stuff. Uh, it happens almost every year somewhere. Not always that bad. It's not always that bad. It's like hurricanes. There's bad years and then there's worse years. Um, but just as recently as 2020, remember how I told you how bad 2020 was? You remember? Do you remember there was a big locust plague in Kenya in 2020? It was so bad that the Kenyan officials said that the, compared to the locust swarm, COVID-19 wasn't even that big of a deal. That's how bad the locust swarm was in Kenya during a short period of time in 2020. So Joel starts out and he's like, has anyone seen anything this bad in their life? And in verse 4, we get kind of just how bad it was. It says... What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. And what the great locusts have left, the locusts, the young locusts have eaten. And what the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. It, it reminds me of the words of the great 1990s philosopher Lloyd Christmas. Do you remember him? He was in that great movie, Dumb and Dumber. We got no food. We got no job. Our pet's heads are falling off. Everything is going downhill. Like, it's so bad. It's, it's so bad. If you don't know 90s movies, I'm sorry. Based on the original language of Joel, uh, this whole thing, the, the great locust, the young locust, is maybe referring to four phases of the life of a locust. I've got a little graphic here of these locusts. And so there's kind of four phases of one of these desert locusts. There's the hatchling that would eat small shoots and, and small vegetation grass and stuff like that. Slightly bigger, the hopper, it would start hopping and it can get to more uh, leafy, larger plants. And then the third phase, they develop wings, they become flyers. And then they get up into the trees and they start to eat the branches and the small sticks and things like that. And then when they're fully grown, these guys can eat the bark off of a tree. They will eat the clothes off of your clothesline. Like these things will eat anything in sight. And so the point is, and this is the whole thing that Joel is opening up this book with. It's bad. 
It's bad. When it rains, it pours. In verse 6, he's going to kind of continue to uh, describe it. And it's interesting how he describes it like an invading army. Look at verse 6. A nation has invaded my land. A mighty armor without army without number. It has teeth like a lion. It has fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste to my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark, thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the betrothed of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning. Those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. The olive oil fails. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up. The fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, the apple tree, all the trees of the field, they're dried up. And surely the people's joy is withered away. Such an encouraging book. Um, so many good things happening. See, it's, it's bad. And this is an agricultural society, okay? So these people are growing their own food. Unlike us, who, our food comes from magic. It just shows up at the grocery store. But they had to grow their food. And so there's this really bad situation and their whole livelihood is gone. So let's pause there because these, these books can get like droning and like what's happening. Like, why is this so negative? I think the question we should pause here and ask ourselves is this. What do we do when this kind of thing happens in our life? You know, when it's raining and then pouring and then monsooning, when it's one thing after the other. Has anybody had that day? What do you do? How should you respond? I remember the desolation that happened to Wilmington after Hurricane Florence. I mean, there's a period during the storm where we were cut off from the rest of the world, effectively. And then after the storm kind of cleared, we found I mean, people had lost everything up in Pender County. And, you know, we did a lot of work with DART ILM. We went up there and, I mean, I talked to people whose houses were completely underwater. Imagine if everything you owned was completely underwater and to be up there with them for weeks and then months and now still years. People are still recovering from that storm, having lost everything. Some people escape with a little more than the clothes on their back. What do you do when that kind of thing happens? I remember my friend in high school, one of my best friends, and in the middle of the night, his house caught on fire. And uh, he lived in a single wide trailer, and that thing went up quick. And his mom and him were the only people living in there, and... They barely made it out and they lost everything. I remember standing outside with him and it's, I remember the smell and I remember like there's still fire trucks putting out the fire and like we were the first people there. I just mean like, and he just said, what are we going to do? This, their car melted (laughs) beside the house. What do you, what do you even do? I've sat with parents whose children have died and you're like, this is not supposed to happen ever. What do you do? Maybe you've had one of those days. What do you What do you do? How do you even respond? Joel has some advice for us as he's writing. He's gonna, first, he's going to give us two big pieces of advice, and this is this is very serious and very good. And so, let's just pick up at verse thirteen. First, he says, "Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who are ministering before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth." You who are ministering before my God, for the grain offerings and the drink offerings are withheld from the house 
of your God. Now, there's more happening there. He's talking to priests, but I think this advice is really good. Uh, in this moment, Joel gives the people permission to mourn. What do you do when it's raining and pouring? Well, you know what? It's okay to be sad. Look, a lot of stuff happened. It was bad. And let's just acknowledge that. I heard this once while I was going through some mourning, and I've since tried to say this as often as I can. Maybe I've said it to you. If, if someone loses a loved one or is in a really bad situation, uh, what the person said was, hey, make sure you mourn well. Because you know what happens if you don't, right? Like we bottle up all these feelings and we get something happened. It's just like shaking up a soda bottle and then it's going to come out at some point And often it's in an unhealthy way. And so what do we do when we're in this mess? Well, it, I want you to know it's okay. Put on sackcloth and mourn. We don't do sackcloth so much anymore. This was this really uncomfortable, like a goat skin fabric. And it was really uncomfortable. But they would just deliberately like, look, life stinks. Let's dress uncomfortably and cry about it. And they would do that for a long period of time. That therapy is something that we don't do anymore. We sweep it under the rug, we make some sarcastic joke about it, and we move on. But it's okay. It's okay to hurt. That's the first thing. Uh, verse 14 gives us the start of the second thing. He says, declare a holy fast and call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. What I see here is another great piece of advice. Joel gives the people permission to cry out to the Lord. And this can look different at different times in your life and depending on uh, your faith journey and your relationship with God. But like, it is okay to go to God and completely cry out to him. The question that I ask, what am I supposed to do? You know a great person to ask that to? Your creator. What am I supposed to do, God? He likes to hear from us. He understands our brokenness. And so instead of just going into kind of a depressed stupor where we just stuff it all down and we say, oh, I'm going to be tough. No, we... It's okay to mourn, and then it's okay just to go straight to God and cry out to him. Uh, skipping ahead to verse 19, Joel, go, Joel goes into this crying out. So let's listen to how he does it in verse 19. He says, To you, Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pasture in the wilderness, and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. It's likely that what they did is, in trying to deal with this uh, locust, they lit some stuff on fire. Because that is a way in ancient times you could try to make them go away if you eat you burn the locusts or you burn the stuff they were going to eat, maybe they'll go away. It's moderately effective from what I understand. I'm no locust expert, but um, it also just causes long-term problems because you burn stuff. And a lot of times it leads to spread wildfire. Joe keeps saying in verse 20, even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up and the fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness. So he's just listing all the things that are going wrong. And, and can I teach you a really cool way to pray? You can do this. Sometimes prayer to God, crying out to him, is just listing all the things that are wrong. Just tell him, this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is going on, and I don't understand this. Um, this is not a sermon on prayer, uh, but I want to take a second to talk about prayer, just briefly. Uh, take time to mourn. Take time to cry out to God. C praying to God is essentially just talking with him. You don't need a special degree from a college. You don't need special vestments. You don't need any special ceremony or language. If you've done a text message conversation or a phone call, you are now equipped to pray. It's just that the person on the other end of the line is the creator of the universe. And I can't express to you in this short amount of time how powerful it can be. 
other than just to tell you that in my experience, and I'm not just anecdotally saying this, like in my serious experience, in really broken times, spending some time just crying out to God, whether it's verbally and you could hear me if you were in the other room or whether it's in my mind and, or whether it's in a journal, something begins to happen in you. One, you begin to feel the comfort and the presence of God. Uh, his spirit is called the comforter in scripture. And I think there's a reason for that. He comes in and he, he fortifies us. He brings us that comfort and he brings us that extra, uh, that extra measure of like, I can make it <laughs> that you need. And then other things begin to happen that are also hard to explain in such a short amount of time. Like things just begin to happen. Things begin to fall into place. People that can speak into your life show up into your life and they begin to talk. And you're like, wow, this is great. That's God's response to your questions sometimes. And sometimes it'll lead you to scripture that you can read. And that'll be God's response to your questions sometimes. And sometimes you just come with a certain sense of peace and understanding on your own. It's okay to cry out to God. In fact, I highly recommend it if, if it's pouring right now for you. In chapter 2... Jill takes a shift, okay? So he's crying out to God. He's explaining what's going on. In chapter 2, something begins to happen. He's acknowledged that the really tough time has gone down. And then he wants to look forward to something that's yet to come. Now, this is a prophetic book. Uh, I said last week, the prophets were not fortune tellers. It wasn't their main job to tell the future. In fact, the majority of the prophets were not them talking about things in the far future. Most of them were contemporary, current things. But occasionally, in their language, they would talk about things that one day God is going to bring something yet to come. Uh, a day of the Lord. And that's this phrase that is used in Joel here. And so he's going <laughs> to he's gonna warn us. He's going to say, listen, I know that it was bad, okay, the locusts and everything. But just so you know, there's more bad coming. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate that. Joel chapter 2, verse 1. He says, so blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. Uh, like, blow the horn. That's, that's like an ancient way of alerting the community. We might ring a big bell or have, pull a fire alarm or something. Something's going down. Everyone needs to get attention. Uh, Zion is a, is a nickname for Jerusalem. He's like, look, let everybody know the day of the Lord is at hand. Something's coming. Something's ahead. And skip all the way down to verse 11 because uh, he's going to go on and he's going to warn them about this other invading army. Uh, we talked about an army of locusts. And he's like, there's another invading army coming too. Okay, this invading army is going to wipe clear. If you thought the locust was bad, this is going to be even worse. Verse 11, it says, but the Lord thundered at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number. And mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It's dreadful. Who can endure it? But what is going on here? Like, I'm going to tell you, it's really hard sometimes to read these prophets because you've got to kind of read them in a circle and you've got to read and you've got to go back. Like, what is he talking about? What is he talking about? Fortunately, generations of scholars have already read this and written some things down. And I was able to read that this week and I want to share some of it with you. And it's basically this. In chapter two, he's going to kind of set up this picture like Israel's about to be invaded by another force. This is nothing new to the Israelites, okay? They've been attacked by every single neighbor that they have. Uh, at this point in history, we think maybe they've even been carted off to Babylon. We're not sure when exactly Joel was written. But they know things are, they, they understand war. Okay, so this war language is nothing crazy for them to understand. And then something happens in the narrative. Like if you talk about something to a, coming to attack your city, you're going to assume that it's enemies, right? Isn't that a natural assumption about war? But in verse 11, who does it say is at the head of this army? It says, the Lord thundered at the head of his army. 
So the attacking army is actually not enemies from another country. It's some sort of a metaphor that says God's got an army. And God's army's on the march. And God's army's going to come into your city. And, and if you thought the locust was bad, you ain't seen nothing compared to the power of the living God and his forces. Are you following this? Like, it's not easy to follow because it's like, wait, why are we talking about this? Um, God uses this plague of locusts as a moment to illustrate something. He says, listen, locusts happen, okay? <laughs> it's part of life. Hurricanes happen, houses burn down, people get sick. Bad things happen. Cry out to God. That's a very good advice for that. But there is something far worse that we should be aware of. Just like Hosea, who we studied last week, the nation of Israel had turned from God and continued to turn from God. And Joel's calling them back, saying, listen, our God, he's a jealous God. And he wants to come into your land and he wants to cleanse it and purge it from anything that is not trying to seek me. And in our modern sensibilities, we don't like to think about God that way. Especially if you've grown up in the modern church recently. We like to talk about grace and love and joy and happiness. But God is also a God of justice. A God of consequences. Because he's holy. And he's like, listen, if you're not striving for holiness with your life, you are outside of my plan for your life. Inside my plan, there's grace and there's love and there's all of that. And it's a free gift to you. But if you're outside of that plan, you don't want to be on the receiving end of that wrath. This is not something that we like to talk about in the modern church. We don't like to bring it up, but Joel makes it the whole point of his whole book. And I think that an easier way for us to understand it is this. There's a spiritual battle all around us. All around us. And our God has this army for a very specific purpose. To fight for us. Not against us. The Apostle Paul says it this way. Ephesians 6.12 For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But it's against the rulers and the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's who our battle is against. The Apostle Peter says it this way, 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So do you see this flip side, this, the flip side of the story? When you're reading it in Joel, it's like, oh no. Oh no, I'm going to be under attack by God. But God says, listen, you don't have to be on the opposing force. It's up to us to decide which side of those battle lines we want to fight on. And the thing that I want to let you know is that it is absolutely free. And you are absolutely invited and welcome to be on God's side. But when he comes into this world, there is a moment, there is a day of the Lord coming. Where he's going to just clear the land. And his army is going to be way worse than the locusts or the rain that's pouring it ain't happy, but it's important to understand. And then on the other side of it, you can say, man, I think I want to be on the Lord's side. That's the message Joel has for the people. Verse 12, Joel reminds us how to get on the right side of that battle. This is uh, Joel 2, 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. 
And listen to this. Verse 13. This is the pivotal passage in all of book of Joel, the book of Joel. He says, rend your heart and not your garments. This, this week became one of my favorite verses. Um, and it's a weird verse because what does it mean? Rend your hearts and not your garments. Uh, you remember the sackcloth and the goat skin and all the goat fur and all this stuff like it's uncomfortable. Another cultural thing that they would do when they were in a bad situation, especially if they were sad and in mourning, uh, is they would tear their garments. So you might have a tunic on and you're so frustrated and I'm going to show the community by, ah, and I would tear my shirt in half. And uh, God says, listen, it's not your clothes that need tearing. It's your heart. Rend your heart, not your garments. And he continues, and it makes more sense in this next verse. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. That's grace. Even in the Old Testament, as we look at this terrible time where God's describing his army like a locust, he says, listen, there is grace. I love that in that sentence, verse 12, it says, even now, declares the Lord. Even now, right now, you can turn to me. You can rend your heart and not your garments. And then in verse 18, skip down. Then the Lord was jealous for his land, and he took pity on his people. Finally, a break in the rain. This is a very short book, but he gets there pretty quick. And in verse 19, the Lord replied to them, here's what I'm going to do. I am sending you grain and new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. So God's promise is to restore the land that's been destroyed in the swarm. And he goes on up for a bunch of verses. And then we skip down to verse 25. He says, listen, this is huge. And I need you to put on your like artistic poetry hats right now. And listen to this sentence. Verse 25. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts and the other locusts and the locust swarm. My great army that I sent among you, you will have plenty to eat until you're full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Wow. That promise. I love the promise. Like, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. And I think that's the promise that so many of us hope to hear. That God would come in and in the mess that we're in, the pain that we're feeling, the brokenness that we're working through, that God would come in and say, listen, I hear your prayers. Let me restore you. In verse 27, why, why does God restore us? Why does God show up? Why does he answer our prayers? I love verse 27. Because then you will know that I am in Israel. That I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. You know that anytime God does something amazing or miraculous in history, I believe, but especially in Scripture, He doesn't ever do it because, like, because it'd be nice if, you know, this person was sick and I'm going to heal them. Now they're not sick anymore. Because guess what? They're mortal. They're going to get sick and die eventually again, right? That's kind of how life works. Jesus does all these miracles, but do you notice he doesn't heal like everyone in the whole world while he's here? Why, why not? Because when God shows his power, when God does his miracles, and when God shows up in settings like this, he does it so that we will know his presence and that we will know his power. Shut up. 
God does these miracles, these powerful things to show his presence and to prove his power. Okay. And that's why sometimes when you pray for things, they don't happen just like you wish they would. Like God didn't answer my prayer. It's not true that God didn't answer your prayer. It's just that he has another way of responding to your request. But don't lose sight of the fact that when he does amazing and powerful things, that's him saying, hey, I'm here. I'm in your presence and I have the power to care for you. Surrender your hearts, not your garments. Um, so that's the book of Joel. There's more we could read, uh, but that's the point, okay? And it's, it's pretty depressing and sad. Uh, <laughs> this little book of Joel, though, it seems so relatable today. And I think it's because we are constantly hitting these walls of what seem like bad news cycles. We are so plugged in, social media and news and everything. And it's like, you know, there's always been calamity all over the world, but now we get to know about all of it every day. And so it's, it's rough. And so it piles up. And I think that's why this book seems so relatable because we know the pain so well. We know well what it looks like for what the baby locusts didn't eat, you know, the, the bigger locusts ate and then the flyers ate and then the great locust swarms ate because we've all hit that bottom of the barrel at different times of our life. We feel like everything's falling apart when it rains, it pours, but here's the, here's the hope. And this is what I want you to hear today. We serve the same God today that was the God of Joel and the people of Israel back then. The same God that says, rend your hearts, not your garment. The same God that says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of your Lord, your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be put in shame. Last week, I told you that each of these minor prophets were like a two-sided coin, okay? And on the one side is a warning, okay? There's a warning. The warning of this one is like, look, God has an army is going to purify the world one day. I mean, there's something like that in there. That's, that's the warning. But on the flip side is the hope. He's inviting you to join his troops, he will deliver you. He will satisfy you. He will fill you. And my guess is that some of you already knew that and just needed to be reminded. And that there might be someone in the room today who's like, I need to learn more about that. God always brings hope to his people. Um, we're not going to read the rest of the book of Joel, but we are going to let someone else read it to us. Uh, Joel shows up another time, a very pivotal time in world history that I want to turn to. And so if you've got your Bible, I want to encourage you, one, to kind of put your thumb there in uh, Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. We didn't read that yet. But also flip ahead to the book of Acts. This is really cool. This is really, really cool. So here's what happens. Hundreds of years after Joel gives this prophecy and the nation of Israel recover completely from the locust swarm, hundreds of years later, this movement begins in this same region. A guy named Jesus of Nazareth shows up and he starts this movement and he's doing wonders and miracles and he's showing that he's got the authority of God and people believe in him and people begin to follow him. And eventually he uh, gives his life on the cross and he raises from the dead and he ascends into heaven. Like that's the Jesus story. Well, not too long after Jesus ascends into heaven, there's this gathering of the believers happening in Jerusalem. And it's on a holiday weekend called Pentecost, okay? And they're there at Pentecost, and they're gathering in the room, and they're saying some prayers, and they're doing some things. And, and, and something begins to happen as they pray. God's Holy Spirit shows up in power. It says it's like the sound of roaring thunder, and then they begin to preach 
to the crowds around them. And it says what looks like flames, like tongues of fire kind of begin to float over their heads. I wish I could see this in real life. And it's the strange thing that begins to happen because people who are walking by start hearing the sermons that are being preached, but because it's a big holiday weekend, people have come from all over the world, from like 12 or 13 different countries at least, that are standing there listening to them. And though these people seem to be preaching in a language that maybe they're really comfortable with, the foreigners begin hearing the sermon in their own tongue. They're like, what is this? How am I hearing these, you know, these Jewish people in Israel speaking to me in my home language? It's so crazy, in fact, that the people that are bystanders are going like, sounds like somebody's drunk over there like this all this babbling true story people thought they were drunk and then the main speaker of the group the apostle peter stands up and he gets the attention of the whole crowd and he begins to preach and he says this this is from acts chapter 2 verse 14 fellow jews and all who are living in jerusalem let me explain this to you listen carefully to what i say these people are not drunk as you suppose it's only nine in the morning no This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. There he is. And then he's going to quote Joel 2, 28. Okay. You can read it in Acts or you can read it in Joel. There's some slight variations because of translations and history and stuff, but it's the same message. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all the people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. And the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. There's some of that crazy cosmic imagery from the, po- from the prophets. Okay, So you can spend the rest of your life unpacking all that blood and darkness and stuff. But this last verse is the huge one, verse 21. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And on that day, after Peter gave that sermon, over 3,000 people chose to follow Jesus. And you know what happened? Just like the people who had been swarmed by the locusts and Joel's talk of them, and you're like, what do we do? You know what they said? They said, what should we do? You know what Peter said? I'm going to try, this is a loose translation. He says, rend your hearts and not your garments. What he actually says is, repent, which means turn your heart back to God, and be baptized, which is this moment where we come into uh, a, a proclamation of the faith that we're having. And it says, and you will receive forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. First, I really love this little book of Joel. Uh, I don't like super love it. Like I'm probably not going to read it every week for the rest of my life and stuff like that. But I love the story that it tells because it ends up being the main thesis of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. And that message is the message we still proclaim today. That God has poured his spirit out on all people who will turn to him in faith. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's, that's tucked into that little book of Joel, and that's what Peter pulls out. Secondly, I love the story of Joel because what happens in the story of Joel is what happens in our life when we turn our life back to Jesus. It is. When we will rend our heart and not our garment, you know what he does? He will repay us for the years the locust has stolen. The great locust, the young locust, the other locusts, the locust swarms. My great army that I sent among you, you will have plenty to eat until you are full 
and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders in you. And never again will my people be put to shame. The story of Joel is the promise of Jesus. That when we will turn our hearts to God, he will care for us. And I'm going to just tell you, it's not always going to be rainbows and unicorns or whatever it is that you smile about. But you will have enough. You will know the love of God. And you will know what it means for God to be active in the life of someone on this earth. It's okay to take some time to mourn. And it's okay to cry out to God. But then, rend your hearts, not your garments. And let your hearts turn to the Father and let Him do the healing. That's the book of Joel. Let's pray together today.